You're listening to the Retirement Lifestyle Podcast with Chris and Susan Beasley. Hi, it's Chris and Susan Beasley here in sunny Portugal, bringing you our Living the Retirement Lifestyle podcast. And today we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with someone who lives and has worked and still lives in the UK. And he has a fabulous story to share with you. So without further ado, may we introduce our guest today, Neil Boss who I might also call Posh Marcus, as you will find out in just a moment. <laughs> Welcome, Neil. Morning. Morning. Good to meet you. Good to see you. Fantastic. So would you like to just give us a little bit of your background and how we got to here, maybe? Uh, no, sure. Absolutely. I, I, I suppose, you know, we don't want to go all the way back too far. But um, I think that writing was always something that I knew I would end up doing. Um, I didn't quite have the appetite to start it as a career, um, but I was always heavily involved in writing school magazines and um, student journalism, student newspapers, that sort of thing. And my English master at school said, you know, you do have a flair for it. I hope you go on and use it one day and have that potential. But of course, as we all know, Life takes us down many different roads. And really my final road, which is where I built my career, was in mergers and acquisitions. I was a partner at uh, Deloitte, the big accounting firm. And I spent my sort of really the bulk of my working life flying around the world and supporting organizations doing large scale transactions but always had in the back of my mind the desire that I, I would actually go back to what I really wanted to do, which was right. But of course, we have financial commitments and other responsibilities to, to fulfil. And so that was put on a back burner until retirement, really. Wow. So let me let me just show everyone. This is Neil's book. And we're going to talk about that as we go through. It's called Maybe It's About Time. I think it's a very, very catchy title. And I'd love you to give us a little bit of a taster, Neil, without revealing the whole story. Yeah, no, no, sure. Sure, Susan. I mean, I think the thing is, is that um, I retired in november gosh since that's a long time ago now i retired in november 2019 and when i retired i had three things that i thought i would really like to do and one was you know if i have a, a sort of hobby or a passion it's probably fly fly fishing um and i like fly fishing in fairly exotic locations i've fly fished around the world and so that was one of them and the second one was to play my electric guitar better than I do um, and to spend some time doing more practice than I ever had real time to do. I mean, it's sitting down there. And then the third thing was that I wanted to write a novel. Well, of course, 2019, three or four months later, bang, we were in lockdown. And so therefore, yeah, my relationship with my guitar teacher went to Zoom, which wasn't really very successful. Travel was just never going to happen. So I thought, well, I better get on and start thinking about this book. And 
I had lots of people say to me, why don't you write a book? You know, you, you, you write very well. You're quite funny. You're quite amusing. Why don't you write a book about your career and your exploits doing these large transactions and deals? And to be honest, I, I really didn't want to write a kiss and tell book about my job because actually it's really boring. <laughs> uh, and I, don't, I, I couldn't see anyone finding any interest in that whatsoever. But I did quite like the idea that, you know, it, it is a world that's really full of colossal egos. That, that world of professional services and sort of consulting, it just contains the most colossal egos which collide in different ways. And I'd spent my life, you know, I was sort of like in the boardrooms of UK PLC, and there were elements of that I wanted to keep. The second thing was that as we were going through lockdown, I thought these are really bizarre times. And I thought, well, why don't you set your, your novel in the in this time that we were going through so i really sat down i sort of worked out the plot the other thing that probably struck me was we were all being told we're all in this together we're all going through lockdown together but i realized quite quickly that lockdown for different people was vastly different if you had a certain amount of money then actually for some people Lockdown was great. No commuting every day. You could sit at home and work, probably still be paid the same money. Great. wasn't really such a hardship. But for actually for a lot of people that didn't have access to broadband, you know, their lives were disrupted massively. Their businesses were disrupted. And I really wanted to bring that out as a sort of form of social inequality. So the book evolved. It has a number of themes in it. Um, I think it's quite humorous. Um, Brilliant. I like it. Um, it gets great reviews on Amazon. Um, so I think that overall, you know, as a novel, I achieved one of my objectives, which is to write something I was really proud of. Um, and there is going to be a sequel too. Oh, yeah, I was going to ask you yeah. that because we just kept saying, didn't we? we there's there's got to be a next one to this because your final chapter was a little bit of a cliffhanger and I could sort of guess what was I'm not exactly yeah. what was going to come next but there would be a yeah. next because I know from the lady who connected us to speak with you and to have you sure. on the podcast here she she sent such a brilliant explanation of your background and what the summary of the book was about and I think you definitely brought out the importance of the theme of human kindness yeah. inside this. And I think this is something I believe, and I hope you will agree, that really came out of the pandemic. People were connecting with people they never had before. They were saying well, and doing well, things differently. I, I mean, what I chose to do was that, I mean, if people only look at the book and, it will appeal to different audiences, I think. There's a lot of people from the world I used to work in, in, in professional services and consulting, that will like it because it's a satire yeah. of that world. But there are an awful lot of people who have read it and said, well, yeah, I got all the satire bit, and, and that's all like very in your face. 
But what I loved was the relationship between the two main characters, mm. one of whom is quite wealthy because of the job that he does, and the other one is really on the poverty line and struggling with her life. And it's the relationship between those two characters and the influence they have over each other that actually shows that at our core, you know, as human beings, we do try and be kind. Um, but there is also a sort of dose of cynicism in that. And, you know, I, I don't want to say that I had any great insight into this, but I did speak to a, a sort of an intensive care consultant um, as part of my research about the COVID pandemic. And I asked him the question, does clapping for carers mean much to you? you know, how did you feel when well, everyone was like out on their doorsteps banging saucepans and applauding? And he said, well, to be honest, it didn't really make that much difference because we were just so bashed around by this whirlwind that was happening to us. At a face value, it was nice, but we all knew that, you know, we were struggling to get PPE, you know, struggling to make sure we had the right levels of oxygen. Patients were dying all over the place. We were in this tsunami. So as a token gesture, it was fine. But actually, he said, I found it quite hypocritical. And I think that what we're seeing now, and I don't, I don't really want to make a big political point, but where we're seeing nurses struggling for a decent pay rise and using food banks, that all the clap for carers stuff was just jingoism and pretty hypocritical. Mm -hmm. And I tried to make that point in the book that, you know, kindness does come at a cost. Um, so, I, as I said, I don't want to make a big political point, but there is a political backdrop to the book. So what I did was, a, it's certainly not a COVID novel at all, but it is the backdrop to the relationship between these two characters struggling to change their lives. I, I think it came across really, really well. I particularly liked, at the end of each chapter, you put the date because... Yeah. We had a very personal involvement in this because actually Chris and I, our background, we're both accountants and we come from okay. a management consultancy yeah. uh, background, mainly in the veterinary profession. But we also ran a ski chalet in the French Alps. And yeah. that was for our retirement. That was what we worked towards. But as you can imagine, when this thing hit, there was a date in your book and I went, Oh, my goodness, I remember that. We had guests going out to stay, and suddenly the president of France had shut down all ski resorts yeah. all across France, and we were like, these people wouldn't have even known. We're trying to get hold of them. We're trying to get them not to come. We're trying to get our current guests to go home. It was like, it, as you say, a tsunami, and it really brought back, home to us about how important it is to try and you can't always plan for your future basically yeah. you do your best but you have to go with what happens in the world to a certain degree and I think that's something I probably like to ask you about is how important do you think now that you are retired yourself Ooh. that people should find something that gives them joy in what we call their second mountain if you like no of course I I think that when I went to a seminar before I retired 
it was it was done by my employers and uh it was sort of prepare yourself for retirement basically and one of the things that they said was you know prepare for loss of you know impact on ego and loss of self-esteem and i kind of poo-pooed that at the time but i think I, mine was slightly different in that i had lockdown so i was kind of forced away from friends but it's taken quite a long time to rebuild those friendships and those contacts again writing the book has helped because i've got back in contact with a lot of people to put them on distribution lists and things like that um but you do really i think have to have some kind of plan because the 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 change to your daily routine is quite significant and, and certainly in those months when lockdown hadn't ha happened but covid was on its way just making an effort to keep in contact with friends um and realizing and appreciating that actually all my former colleagues very few of them have retired as you know they're all still working they're all still busy so when i say oh should we meet for lunch it's sort of well yeah i'll get back to you but it's sort of, well, why can't we do it tomorrow and it's a well because we're not retired like you so you do have to have a, a plan for it um but writing to me kind of suits my disposition um in that i'm quite comfortable in my own company and therefore i can discipline myself to get up in the morning have breakfast take the dog for a walk and then sit down and discipline myself to write for four or five hours a day um sometimes more if it's going well i i, I can write into the night um but you know the process for me was in, was really enjoyable i can't wait to get back to it in january i've said that i will promote the book and do all that stuff in the background between now and christmas but in the new year i'm going to start writing the sequel again that's fabulous but it's like anything isn't it Neil that even writing a book you you need to do some kind of marketing because otherwise it will sit somewhere and nobody will ever get to know about it and which is why we love doing these podcasts and particularly yeah. we've spoken to loads of guests who have written books but they have been more in line with the type of book you didn't want to write which was wow. you know a uh, your life story yeah. um it this, oh, this was the best right. this was truly the best book about what you do next and about re bringing retirement into it slightly it, it just I don't know it just ticked all the boxes and I think people need to have that kind of inspiration yeah um yeah okay certainly for the audience that you know that that you're in connection with i mean the main character marcus marcus barlow i mean he's 55 he's made shed loads of money but he's trapped and he knows that he's not enjoying his job <clears throat> which is a difference i mean i did enjoy mine um but he knows he's not enjoying it but he's trapped by his wealth and that challenge every day and doesn't know what to do which is equally scary um i think that it's scary for people retirement can be scary for people that have a plan and know exactly what they want to do but equally it's it can be even scarier if you don't know what you want to do and so therefore marcus is trapped and it's his meeting with 
the second character, Claire Halford, that who's obviously much younger than he is, struggling on the poverty line, doesn't live in anything like the opulence that Marcus does, but holds a mirror up to him that says, well, hang on, what is really important in this world? And I think that the sequel will, you know, for your listeners again, be, you know, equally applicable. Um, this is just the first step from Marcus. Um, but I think that, yeah, I, 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 there is definitely a sequel that I have with some other points that I want to make about him as well. I think that's, I think that's really exciting as well that you've actually brought out that point. And I was chatting with a, um, a good friend of ours who is a, um, an ex-IFA um, who's very prolific on LinkedIn. Um, right. And he, he's been talking over the past year about the importance of financial well-being um, yeah. and how important that is. And we have a good connection because he knows us and what we're trying to do and the way we're trying to increase financial well-being through entrepreneurship and yeah. doing something you love, like you write a book. So many yeah. people have got a book inside them, but they haven't got the power in their mind to say, right, let's do this. And I can yeah. actually have a great income from that. Um, but yeah. I feel fortunate. You know, I have every admiration for people who use writing as a means of generating an income. I am slightly lucky in that um, I have, you know, I'm retired and I don't necessarily need to depend on it. I am actually thinking about, you know, I'm not a charity, um, but if I can cover all my costs on, on the book, the production and editing, blah, 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 everything I make on it, I'm actually going to donate to charity. Brilliant. Because I don't need... The, what I would like to, is people say, it's a great read and I love reading it and I've recommended it to my friends or, or, or whatever. I'd like it to be a critical success, of course, but I don't need it to be a financial success. You know, this isn't a case of J.K. Rowling sitting in a greasy spoon <laughs> coming up with a story coming up with a story about wizards. And do you reckon anyone will like that? Well, I don't know, but maybe they will. But so I don't necessarily need that. But what I would pe like people to say is, actually, Neil, you wrote a damn good book. And that's, that's what I'd like is people who think, well, it's a good read. Yeah, that's it. So well, how long did it take you to write? Uh well, there's, there's a difference. I mean, to actually get to a first manuscript about a year. I mean, it is quite long. It is. Um, it's a, I mean, it's 500 and odd pages long. It's quite chunky. Um, when I sent the first manuscript to my editor, who was brilliant, um, she was like, it's too long. We need to chop this out. Be prepared for your baby to lose a few limbs. And he was, oh, my God, you can't touch it. But actually, she made it a far better book. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it is still long. So then you have to challenge yourself and say, well, I mean, I said to her, is it too long? And she said, well, I've read short novels that I wish were shorter. And I've read long novels that I wish went on and were even longer. And she said, I think yours is in that latter category. It is long, but it never drags. And it's a page turner. You want to know what's going on. The characters are believable and plausible. So it took me about a year to get to a first manuscript. 
and then I went through very, all the stages of editing before you actually get it to a final production and a final book. Well, uh, you might not think you've got a good film that would come out of this, but actually, <laughs> I think there's a really good film that would come out of that. Well, if there's any of your listeners that are interested in good screenplays and a good plot, please get them to put in, come in contact with me. Because I, I, I mean, I, I think that the characters are strong enough, but everybody says, I mean, th these are the sort of things that you hear when you start writing a book. Everyone's got a book inside them. Well, that may be true. I don't know. Um, but so few people ever get to the point where they they actually get it to a finished product and it's there in their hands. So that's difficult. Um, so I'm proud that I've done that. Um, do I, I mean, somebody said to me the other day, well, okay, so you've written it, you're proud of it, you're just going to put it in a drawer now and that's it. So, well, I'm not really that sort of disposition. Now I'm sort of looking, well, how do I turn it into something that reaches a wider audience? Mm -hmm. And that's the key thing for me. But thousands and thousands of books get written every year, get printed. How does yours rise above that? I mean, I read some books that are Sunday Times bestsellers and I do think, well, actually, I think mine's just as good. So yeah, it's just, right. how, do I get, how do I get this book into the hands of more people? Probably, probably one way might be turn it into an audio book. Yeah, definitely. Well, I have said, yeah, I've, I have. I mean, they're not cheap to do. No. I, mean, I think to do an audio book is about four or five thousand, something like that, to do it well. Um, maybe more. Then who are you going to get to read it? That's fine. Um, for, but I, I mean, I did want to test the water and say, well, is it good enough? before I go and invest any more money in it. Mm -hmm. um, but I've got 30 reviews on Amazon now. I think 28 of them are five-star reviews. People do, I, I, I know I have a good book on my hands. Mm -hmm. It's how do I get this out to a wider audience? That's the main thing. Here you are. This is how well, you do you. it. This is one way you this do it. This is one way you do it. Yes, exactly. And it's more and more people picking this up I mean, it's quite interesting that um, when I started off, and we, I suppose it was in the summer I got around to, the manuscript was going through final sort of type, you know, sort of going through typos, you know, copy editing. And I was asked, you know, what's your social media presence? It was all like nil. <laughs> <laughs> was, and they said, well, do you even have a LinkedIn profile? I was like, no. I know um, we couldn't every, find you. <laughs> everyone, I, everyone I know is, you know, in my in my phone or on my email list. It's like, okay, we need to work on this. So, at the sort of age of sixty four, I rediscovered. So oh, I didn't even rediscover it. I just discovered social media, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, all those things. I love Twitter actually. I, I really have taken to it like a duck to water. I love Twitter. Um, but even with Elon Musk owning it. But, um, yeah, it's been a baptism of fire. But, you know, as somebody said to me the other day, look, Neil, calm down. Your book has been out for two months now. You've got 30 five-star reviews. Be patient and things will happen. And I think I just have to put faith in the fact, you know, that the product is good. 
Yeah, and I, th I think the other thing is that you have to realise that it's not something that's going to be, it's going to be there forever. Yeah, true. It's, it's not something that's, you know, going to be there for a couple of months and then that's it, it's gone. It's there forever. Then you're going to have the sequel. Yeah. So you're going to start to see people, oh, where's the series? When's the third one coming out, maybe? I don't, I don't know how I can stretch that. But oh, and, then, and then you've got the film, you know. So like... uh, if only. But I think that, you know, I'm just not that sort of person, which is why I did the job that I did, that just sort of sits back and sort of, oh, well, yeah, I've done it now. Great. It's so, yeah, okay, so what's the next challenge? Where, what am I going to do now? So do I want... Would I like to see this as a Sunday Times number one bestseller? Uh, I have to be honest, yeah, of course I would. I love it. But <laughs> would. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> but, but why would? But why wouldn't you? But the thing is, is that I always said when people were saying about you know marketing it and that sort of thing. I mean, for, for your reader, uh, for your listeners, I mean, I didn't go down the traditional agent publisher route. Um, I've self-published this. Mm, yeah, perfect. Same as we did. Yeah. And and the, and the thing is, is that. Um, People have said, well, it's a really good book. Why didn't you go down the publisher route? And I just said, well, I have to face facts. At that time when I started writing it, I was a 62-year-old former management consultant, probably, you know, seen as quite boring, with a wacky idea for a, for a novel that was going to be a satire on that world and a, a sort of thing about human kindness. Finding an agent that was going to believe in me was going to be difficult, which would have put the project on hold if I'd have tried to do it that way. Then let's say I, I, I even got to a point where I found an agent. Then finding a publisher that goes, you know, does someone want to read a novel about, about that sort of thing? Well, we've got a pile of manuscripts here and how many rejection letters could I cope with? And to me, that was defeating the whole point of retiring and writing in retirement mm. to wait for that traditional route. I wanted to see, could I write a really good novel that came out of my head using my words and my imagination? And yes, I have done it. Well, I, I mean, I think I've done it. But I think the thing is, is that now it's a case of how do I get this book into a bigger, to a bigger audience now? Mm. And that's the challenge. Yeah, so I think, I think the thing is here is that you found a way, you had an idea, you knew what you wanted to do, you knew you wanted to write a book, and the traditional route, as you say, I mean, it totally put you off, and I think it would totally put anybody yeah. off, you know, I mean, of the four books we've been involved in and written, um, they've all been self-published, because it's it's a it's a route to the end, it's a, a yeah. to the end, to the achieving what you want to achieve and it, to be honest yes it's a bit complicated but it's not that difficult no it's not i mean i had i had a a good publisher that helped me through the journey but i think the thing is is that you are then limited by your own abilities to market a book you know i'm not a tv celebrity i'm not going to be able to walk into a publisher and say look i've got my own tv show i'm a famous person I'm writing this autobiography, and they and they they'll do the maths and go, yeah, this is going to sell half a million copies at Christmas. Yeah, fine. How much advance do you want? Yeah. I'm not in that situation. Maybe I will, you know, for the second one. I, I think I've got a track record now, but to me, it's very much a case of 
could I prove to myself, and this is you know going right the way back to being 15, 16, and an English master saying, you do have the potential to write something decent if you put your mind to it. Life took me down a whole series of other routes. Fine, well, we got back there in the end. And now I've sort of tried to prove to myself that I can actually do it. And now, and now your next challenge is okay. So how can I get it into into a wider audience's hands? And exactly. you find a way. You yeah. will. This is this is you know part of the journey of that. No. Is exactly it. Is exactly it. And I have time too, which is good. And I absolutely love that you shared your passion that's come through in writing a book. You know, there are people who reach that second mountain, their retirement years, and they don't know what they want to do. You talk about you love your fly fishing. Not everybody does, but they might have a hobby. But hobbies aren't going to necessarily keep you entertained for the next 20 or 30 years. You know, we're looking at how long... Our, our longevity of life is now with better health care and, and everything else. And I think the way that you've done that, you've achieved that second mountain, you've done something that your schoolmaster told you many years ago you could do, you've done that now, you also have a passion for making it financially helpful as a cause yeah, yeah. future. And that will give you a lot of satisfaction and yeah. allow you to continue to develop this. And I really do hope you get a movie out of this because you just never know. You don't know what lands in someone's social media sure. or their inbox and they go, this would make a good film. J.K. Rowling would never have known that she was going to be as successful oh. athlete no, as she was. So don't lose hope. <laughs> no, no, I, I, as, as I say, I'm not despondent at all. I've written a great book, I think, and people have enjoyed it. I've had a lot of people saying, you know, I took it on holiday. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, it was a great thing, you know, to have done. Um, but I, I'm just not of that disposition where I can just go, okay, well, done that, move on, next thing. It's now a case of, right, okay, how do I get this into more people's hands? Because I think it's something, you know, if you enjoy reading, it's an enjoyable read. Um, so, yeah, social media and all of that stuff and interviews like these are, are all really great things to do. And uh, as I say, I hope I talk enthusiastically enough about it. Oh, well, watch this space. Neil, thank you so much for joining us and giving oh, us your you. time today and hearing how you've approached your retirement and shared how you've writing a book fantastic book i know our listeners and readers are going to love to get their hands on it and uh, i will make sure that i have all the links that i need from you a bit later so we can put them into talk. so it'd be fabulous so everybody thank you for joining us thank you for watching thank you for listening thank you neil for joining us and we'll see you on the next episode take care thanks chris thanks susan bye This is the Retirement Lifestyle Podcast with Chris and Susan Beasley.